Volume Two, Chapter Eight of the Seaboard Parish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock. The Seaboard Parish by George MacDonald. Chapter Eight: The Cave now my dear now winnie i said after prayers the next morning you must come out for a walk as soon as ever you can get your bonnets on but we can't leave connie papa objected winnie oh yes you can quite well there's nursie to look after her what do you say connie for for some time now connie had been able to get up so early that it was no unusual thing to have prayers in her room i am entirely independent of help from my family returned connie grandiloquently i am a woman of independent means she added if you say another word i will rise and leave the room and as she made a movement as if she would actually do as she had said seized with an involuntary terror i rushed towards her and the impertinent girl burst out laughing in my face threw herself back on her pillows and laughed delightedly take care papa she said i carry a terrible club for rebellious people then her mood changing she added as if to suppress the tears gathering in her eyes i am the queen of luxury and self-will and i won't have anybody come near me till dinner time i mean to enjoy myself so the matter was settled and we went out for our walk ethelwyn was not such a good walker as she had been but even if she had retained the strength of her youth we should not have got on much better for it so often did she and winnie stop to grub ferns out of the chinks and roots of the stone walls now i admire ferns as much as anybody that is not i fear so much as my wife and daughter but quite enough notwithstanding but i do not quite enjoy being pulled up like a fern at every turn now my dear what is the use of stopping to torture that harmless vegetable i say but say in vain it is much more beautiful where it is than it will be anywhere where you can put it besides you know they never come to anything with you they always die thereupon my wife reminds me of this fern and that fern gathered in such and such places and now in such and such corners of the garden of or the greenhouse or under glass shades in this room or that room of the very existence of which i am ignorant whether from original inattention or merely from forgetfulness i do not know certainly out of their own place i do not care much for them at length partly by the inducement i held out to them of a much greater variety of ferns where we were bound i succeeded in getting them over the two miles in little more than two hours after passing from the lanes into the fields our way led downwards till we reached a very steep large slope 
with a delightful southern exposure and covered with the sweetness down grasses it was just a place to lie in as on the edge of the earth and look abroad upon the universe of air and floating worlds let us have a rest here ethel i said i am sure this is much more delightful than uprooting ferns what an awful thing to think that here we are on this great round tumbling ball of a world held by the feet lifting up the head into infinite space without choice or wish of our own compelled to think and to be whether we will or not just god must know it to be very good or he would not have taken it in his hands to make individual lives without a possible will of theirs he must be our father or we are wretched creatures the slaves of a fatal necessity did it ever strike you turner that each one of us stands on the apex of the world with a sphere you know it must be so and thus is typified as it seems to me that each one of us must look up for himself to find god and then look abroad to find his fellows i think i know what you mean was all turner's reply no doubt i resumed the apprehensions of this truth has in otherwise ill-ordered minds given rise to all sorts of fierce and grotesque fanaticism but the minds which have thus conceived the truth would have been immeasurably worse without it nay this truth affords at last the only possible door out of the miseries of their own chaos whether inherited or the result of their own misconduct what's that in the grass cried winnie in a tone of alarm i looked where she indicated and saw a slow worm or blind worm lying basking in the sun i rose and went towards it here's your stick said turner what for i asked why should i kill it it is perfectly harmless and to my mind beautiful i took it in my hands and brought it to my wife she gave an involuntary shudder as it came near her i assure you it is harmless i said though it has a forked tongue and i opened its mouth as i spoke i do not think the serpent form is essentially ugly it makes me feel ugly said winnie i allow i do not quite understand the mysteries of it i said but you never saw lovelier ornamentation than these silvery scales with all the neatness of what you ladies call a set pattern and none of the stiffness for there are not two of them the same in form and you never saw lovelier curves than this little patient creature which does not even try to get away from me makes with the queer long thin body of him i wonder how it can look after its tail it is so far off said winnie it does though better than you ladies look after your long dresses i wonder whether it is descended from creatures that once had feet and did not make a good use of them perhaps they had wings even and would not use them at all and so lost them its ancestors may have had poison fangs it is innocent enough but it is a terrible thing to be all feet is it not 
there is an awful significance in the condemnation of the serpent. On thy belly shalt thou go, and eat dust. But it is better to talk of beautiful things. My soul, at least, has dropped from its world apex. Let us go on. Come, wife. Come, Turner. They did not seem willing to rise, but the glen drew me. I rose, and my wife followed my example with the help of my hand. She returned to the subject, however, as we descended the slope. Is it possible that in the course of ever so many ages wings and feet should be both lost, she said? The most presumptuous thing in the world is to pronounce on the possible and the impossible. I do not know what is possible and what is impossible. I can only tell a little of what is true and what is untrue. But I do say this, that between the condition of many decent members of society and that for the sake of which God made them, there is a gulf quite as vast as that between a serpent and a bird. I get peeps now and then into the condition of my own heart, which, for the moment, makes it seem impossible that I should ever rise into a true state of nature, that is, into the simplicity of God's will concerning me. The only hope for ourselves and for others lies in Him, in the power the creating spirit has over the spirits He has made. By this time the descent on the grass was getting too steep and slippery to admit of our continuing to advance in that direction. We turned, therefore, down the valley in the direction of the sea. It was but a narrow cliff, and narrowed much towards a deeper cliff, in which we now saw the tops of trees, and from which we heard the rush of water. Nor had we gone far in this direction before we came upon a gate in a stone wall, which led into what seemed a neglected garden. We entered, and found a path turning and winding among small trees and luxuriant ferns, and great stones and fragments of ruins down towards the bottom of the chasm. The noise of falling water increased as we went on, and at length, after some scrambling and several sharp turns, we found ourselves with a nearly precipitous wall on each side, clothed with shrubs and ivory and creeping things of the vegetable world. Up this cleft there was no advance. The head of it was a precipitous down which shot the stream from the vale above, pouring out of a deep slit it had itself cut in the rock as with a knife. Halfway down it tumbled into a great basin of hollowed stone, and flowing from a chasm in its side, which left part of the lip of the basin standing like an arch of a vanished bridge. It fell into a black pool below, whence it crept as if half-stunned or wearied down the gentle decline of the ravine. It was a perfect little picture. I, for my part, had never seen such a picturesque fall. It was a little gem of nature, complete in effect. The ladies were full of pleasure. Winnie, forgetting her usual reserve, broke out in frantic exclamations of delight. We stood for a while regarding the ceaseless pour of the water down the precipitous. 
here shot slanting in the little trough of the rock, full of force and purpose, here falling in great curls of green and gray, within expression of absolute helplessness and conscious perdition, as if it sheared to the center, but rejoicing the next moment to find itself brought up boiling and bubbling in the basin, to issue in the gathered hope of experience. Then we turned down the stream a little way, crossed it by a plank, and stood again to regard it from the opposite side. Small as the whole affair was, not more than about a hundred and fifty feet in height, it was so full of variety that I saw it was all my memory could do, if it carried away anything like a correct picture of its aspect. I was contemplating it fixedly, when a little stifled cry from Winnie made me start and look round. Her face was flushed, yet she was trying to look unconcerned. I thought we were quite alone, Papa, she said, but I see a gentleman sketching. I looked whither she indicated. A little way down, the bed of the ravine widened considerably, and was no doubt filled with water in rainy weather. Now it was swampy, full of weeds and willow bushes. But on the opposite side of the stream, with a little canal from it going all around it, lay a great flat rectangular stone, not more than a foot above the level of the water, and upon a camp-stool in the center of this stone sat a gentleman sketching. I had no doubt that Winnie had recognized him at once, and I was annoyed, and indeed angry, to think that Mr. Percival had followed us here. But while I regarded him, he looked up, rose very quietly, and with his pencil in his hand, came towards us, with no nearer approach to familiarity than a bow, and no expression of either much pleasure or any surprise, he said. I have seen your party for some time, Mr. Walton, since you crossed the stream, but I would not break in upon your enjoyment with the surprise which my presence here might cause you. I suppose I answered with a bow of some sort, for I could not say with truth that I was glad to see him. He resumed, doubtless penetrating my suspicion. I have been here almost a week. I certainly had no expectation of the pleasure of seeing you. This he said lightly, though no doubt with the object of clearing himself. And I was, if not reassured, yet disarmed by his statement. For I could not believe, for what I knew of him, that he would be guilty of such a white lie as many a gentleman would have thought justifiable on the occasion. Still, I suppose he found me a little stiff, for presently he said, If you will excuse me, I will return to my work. Then I felt as if I must say something, for I had shown him no courtesy during the interview. It must be a great pleasure to carry away such talismans with you, capable of bringing the place back to your mental vision at any moment. To tell the truth, he answered, I am a little ashamed of being found sketching here. Such bits of scenery are not of my favorite studies. But it is a change. It is very beautiful here, I said, in a tone of contravention. 
It is very pretty, he answered. Very lovely, if you will. Not very beautiful, I think. I would keep that word for things of larger regard. Beauty requires width, and here is none. I had almost said this place was fanciful, the work of imagination in her play hours, not in her large, serious moods. It affects me like the face of a woman only pretty, about which boys and guardsmen will rave. To me, not very interesting, save for its single lines. Why, then, do you sketch the place? A very fair question, he returned, with a smile. Just because it is soothing from the very absence of beauty, I would far rather, however, if I were only following my taste, take the barest bit of the moor above, with a streak of the cold sky over it. That gives room. You would like to put a skylark in it, wouldn't you? That I would if I knew how. I see you know what I mean, but the mere romantic I never had much taste for, though if you saw the kind of pictures I try to paint, you would not wonder that I take sketches of places like this, while in my heart of hearts I do not care much for them. They are so different, and just, therefore, they are good for me. I am not working now. I am only playing. With a view to working better afterwards, I have no doubt, I answered. You are right there, I hope was his quiet reply as he turned and walked back to the island. He had not made a step towards joining us. He had only taken his hat off to the ladies. He was gaining ground upon me rapidly. Have you quarreled with our new friend, Harry? said my wife as I came up to her. She was sitting on a stone. Turner and Winnie were farther off towards the foot of the fall. Not in the least, I answered, slightly outraged. I did not at first know why, by the question. He has only gone to his work, which is a duty belonging both to the first and second tables of the law. I hope you have asked him to come home to our early dinner then, she rejoined. I have not. That remains for you to do. Come, I will take you to him. Ethelwyn rose at once, put her hand in mine, and with a little help soon reached the table rock. When Percival saw that she was really on a visit to him on his island perch, he rose, and when she came near enough, held out his hand. It was but a step, and she was beside him in a moment. After the usual greetings, which on her part, although very quiet, like every motion and word of hers, were yet indubitably cordial and kind, she said. When you get back to London, Mr. Percival, might I ask you to allow some friends of mine to call at your studio and see your paintings? With all my heart, answered Percival. I must warn you, however, that I have not much they will care to see. They will perhaps go away less happy than they entered. Not many people care to see my pictures twice. I would not send you any one I thought unworthy of the honor, answered my wife. Percival bowed, one of his stately, old-world bows, which I greatly liked. Any friend of yours, that is guaranteed sufficient, he answered. 
there was this peculiarity about any compliment that percival paid that you had not doubt of its being genuine will you come and take an early dinner with us said my wife my invalid daughter will be very pleased to see you i will with pleasure he answered but in a tone of some hesitation as he glanced from ethelwyn to me my wife speaks for us all i said it will give us all pleasure i am only afraid it will break in upon your morning's work remarked ethelwyn oh that is not the least consequence he rejoined in fact as i have just been saying to mr walton i am not working at all at present this is pure recreation as he spoke he turned towards his easel and began hastily to bundle up his things we're not quite ready to go yet said my wife loath to leave the lovely spot what a curious flat stone this is she added it is said percival the man to whom the place belongs a worthy yeoman of the old school says that this wider part of the channel must have been the fish pond and that the portly monks stood on this stone and fished in the pond then there was a monastery here i asked certainly the ruins of the chapel one of the smallest are on the top just above the falls rather a fearful place to look down from i wonder you did not observe them as you came they say it had a silver bell in the days of its glory which now lies in the deep hole under the basin halfway between the top and bottom of the fall but the old man says nothing will make him look or let anyone else lift the huge stone for he is much better pleased to believe that it may be there than he would be to know it was not there for certainly if it were found it would not be left there long as he spoke percival had continued packing his gear he now led our party up to the chapel and thence down a few yards to the edge of the chasm where the water fell headlong i turned away with that fear of high places which is one of my many weaknesses and when i turned again towards the spot there was Winnie on the very edge, looking over into the flash and tumult of the water below, but with a nervous grasp of the hand of Percival, who stood a little farther back. In going home, the painter led us by an easier way out of the valley, left his little easel and other things at a cottage, and then walked on in front between my wife and daughter, while Turner and I followed. He seemed quite at his ease with them, and plenty of talk and laughter rose on the way. I, however, was chiefly occupied with finding out Turner's impression of Connie's condition. She is certainly better, he said. I wonder you do not see it as plainly as I do. The pain is nearly gone from her spine, and she can move herself a good deal more. I am certain that she could when she left she asked me yesterday if she might not turn upon one side do you think you could i asked i think so she answered at any rate i have often a great inclination to try only papa said i had better wait till you came 
I do think she might be allowed a little more change of posture now. Then you have really some hope of her final recovery. I have hope most certainly. But what is hope in me? You must not allow to become certainty in you. I am nearly sure, though, that she can never be other than an invalid. That is, if I am to judge by what I know of such cases. I am thankful for the hope, I answered. You need not be afraid of my turning upon you should the hope never pass into sight. I should do so only if I found that you had been treating me irrationally, inspiring me with hope which you knew to be false. The element of uncertainty is essential to hope, and for all true hope, even as hope, man has to be unspeakably thankful. End of chapter 8